Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I have some news for you at the top of the podcast, which is that I will be taking a break for the next couple of weeks. So after this episode, the next episode will come out September 26th. I thought about only skipping one week, but I'm going to Dragon Con at the end of August and then starting a new job at the beginning of September, so I'm going to give myself a little extra breathing room. With that out of the way, let's get started. This time we are talking about Persuasion by Jane Austen. Here is the summary. Eight years before the story begins, Anne Elliot is happily betrothed to a naval officer, Frederick Wentworth, but she breaks off the engagement when persuaded by her friend Lady Russell that such a match is unworthy. The breakup produces in Anne a deep and long-lasting regret. When later Wentworth returns from sea, a rich and successful captain, he finds Anne's family on the brink of financial ruin and his own sister a tenant in Kellynch Hall, the Elliot estate. Can they overcome the pain of their past to find love again, or is it too late for them? Persuasion was published in late 1817 though some copies do give the publication date as 1818. Our author, Jane Austen, was born in England in 1775. She wrote six complete novels, including Pride and Prejudice and Emma. Her works were known for their wit and commentary on landed gentry in the late 18th century. They have inspired many critical essays and movies and TV shows and have almost never been out of print. Austin died in 1817 at the age of 41. Persuasion was her final completed novel and was published after her death. I have not yet read all of Jane Austen's books, but I feel pretty confident saying that Persuasion is my favorite. I've read it at least three times, and I foresee myself reading it many, many more. Austen's works are known as I mentioned, for being funny. She wrote commentary and critiques on the society that she was a part of. They're also unique in that they focus very much on women and on women's roles in that society. Now, Persuasion does have a layer of humor to it, but less, I think, than her other works, maybe. It's been a while since I've read any Austen except Persuasion, I admit. But at the time that she wrote Persuasion, Austin was very sick and in a lot of pain. And I think a lot of that pain and melancholy went into her writing. It's hard to imagine that it didn't. Persuasion has a lot of melancholy to it, a lot of musing on missed opportunities. The characters are looking back on their lives and questioning the choices that they've made. But again, it's not doom and gloom and sad the whole time. It's well-balanced, I think. And as I have done in the past, I am going to read some lines from it for you during this episode. But our story begins with the Elliots. Sir Walter, the father, extremely vain and convinced of his own importance, 
Elizabeth, his oldest daughter, who is just like him. Mary is the youngest, and in a similar vein to her father and oldest sister, she is very proud but not particularly clever. And Anne, the middle child, our protagonist. Quiet, introspective, kind, level-headed Anne, who is very different from her family, and eight years ago, at the age of 19, was persuaded by her friend Lady Russell to give up her engagement to a handsome sailor of no money or family, Frederick Wentworth. And I want to mention that Lady Russell is basically Anne's only mother figure, her own mother having died when she was young. Whatever became of the advice, and this is something Anne herself comments on later, it was entirely reasonable for Anne Elliot at 19 to bend to the persuasion of Lady Russell. With the benefit of hindsight, we are able to say Wentworth was a good match, but eight years ago there was no guarantee of his success. The future is so uncertain. And one thing that Austen does in this book is to show you through various engaged or married couples that we meet the different ways Anne and Wentworth's story might have ended eight years ago. There's the couple who had a long engagement where one of them died while the other was away. There's a couple living in poverty. The husband who died and left his widow in a lot of debt. And there are one or two couples also who we see who do have a very good relationship, but they're sort of the outliers. They're the lucky ones, I should say. Anyway, here we are eight years later. Wentworth has found fame and fortune in the Navy, becoming a very eligible bachelor indeed. Anne, at 27, has few prospects in a very small life. She has spent the last eight years walking the same halls, seeing the same people. She's overlooked and unappreciated by her whole family, and in many ways, Anne is trapped. She's an unmarried woman with few friends and a family that takes her for granted and makes her take on every unpleasant responsibility. There's a certain amount of melancholy to Anne Elliot as she reflects that if she was in the same position today, if a young couple came to her for advice, she would not answer them with caution, as Lady Russell did, but would encourage them. And she's convinced now that even if Wentworth hadn't found fame and wealth on the sea, she would have been much happier in continuing the engagement with him than in giving it up. It would be perfectly reasonable for Anne to be angry at herself or Lady Russell or her situation or her family, but she's not. And one of the things that I like about Anne is her kindness. Anne spends so much of this book trying to soothe tempers, to encourage people to think better of each other. And it's not that she doesn't see the flaws of all the people around her. She does. She sees very clearly even her own flaws and pride, but she always encourages people to be better and to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And she is so often the voice of reason, even if no one is listening to her. So the Elliots are nearing financial ruin. 
Sir Walter and Elizabeth have no sense of economy, insisting that they cannot live without their endless luxuries. They are convinced, however, through careful flattery, to decamp. They will move to Bath, where they can live more affordably and rent out their estate of Kellynch Hall. Anne, however, is told that she must stay behind with her sister Mary, who is a hypochondriac, basically. Unless Mary is getting sufficient attention, she considers herself ill. And once again, this is just another example of Anne being given the jobs that nobody else wants. Before she is whisked away to Mary's, just a couple of miles from Kellynch, news arrives of who will rent the hall. Admiral and Mrs. Croft. Anne has to take a very long walk in the garden by herself when she hears the news, because a Mrs. Croft is Wentworth's sister. And to think, after all these years, that he might visit his sister, might return to the scene of their mutual heartbreak. Anne is torn. She regrets what happened, might even still love Wentworth, but could he ever forgive her, and will they ever even meet again? Of course they will. What kind of a book do you think this is? They are thrown together by circumstance when he visits his sister and then Mary's family, forced into that incredibly awkward casual acquaintance. But worse, because no one knows they were almost engaged that one time, so they have to be in each other's company with this unspoken shared trauma hanging between them. And nobody notices, because nobody pays any attention to Anne. And it sucks for Anne, especially because she has to suffer silently as Wentworth, one of the only people who used to know and cherish Anne, ignores her and pays attention to everyone else. And it's especially painful because she still knows him, even after a distance of eight years, she knows what the slightest expression on his face means, understands him without him having to speak a word. As Austin puts it, they were once so much to each other, now nothing. There could have been no two hearts so open, no tastes so similar, no feelings so in unison, no countenances so beloved. Now they were as strangers, nay, worse than strangers, for they could never become acquainted. Anne is convinced that Wentworth hates her, and she doesn't blame him. How could she? She broke both of their hearts. But sometimes, sometimes he reacts or responds to her in a way no one else does. Noticing when she is hurt or upset, even when no one else does. Proving, at least to Anne, that he might not forgive her, but he hasn't forgotten her. In much the same way, she hasn't forgotten him. They work their way, slowly, to being friendly. At the very least, they can be in the same room together again. But Anne is convinced she's lost her chance with him, that he means to marry someone else. Anyone else. So much of this book is me saying poor Anne over and over. Bless her heart. Before Anne can escape from the horror of watching an ex fall in love with someone and rejoin her horrible family in Bath, she ends up on a small trip to the coast with extra horror of horrors Wentworth and Mary's family. 
She meets some of Wentworth's friends and is struck with the thought that they might have been her friends in another life, that she might have been part of this circle of people who love each other and would do anything for each other. There's no petty sniping amongst Wentworth's friends. Nothing like what Anne sits through every day. Disaster strikes, as it always must when someone visits a coastal town in a Jane Austen novel. One of Mary's sisters-in-law, Louisa, the very girl who it seems like Wentworth might be inclined to marry, falls and suffers an injury. Chaos reigns among their party, except for Anne, who keeps her cool and helps Wentworth deal with the injured girl. Anne's final days in this company are confused and chaotic, and she leaves to join her father and sister in Bath without knowing the final result of Louise's fall, if the girl will recover, or if she'll ever see Wentworth again. In Bath, Anne is relegated once again to the background, but here she finds small moments of happiness in her life. She has carved in her life places where she can be happy and be herself. She is reunited with Lady Russell, who she loves and admires, and reunites with an old school friend, one Mrs. Smith. It's nice for me as the reader, because both Lady Russell and Mrs. Smith like and value Anne for who she is, so finally we're getting some people who know Anne and understand her rather than ignore her. Anne, who has been very preoccupied with Wentworth and with Mary's family, is suddenly thrown back into the drama unfolding with her father and oldest sister. Elizabeth has a companion, one Mrs. Clay, who everyone except Elizabeth and Sir Walter suspects of having designs to marry Sir Walter. And there's a new factor complicating her family life, a Mr. William Elliot, who is the heir to Sir Walter. Previously, Mr. Elliot had proved himself uninterested in being acquainted with them, but now he makes himself extremely amiable and charming to the whole family. And Anne has to wonder about this change of heart. She tries to be fair and think of it as just him growing up and growing wiser, because Anne always does her best to be fair and account for other people's having changed and grown. But have you ever met someone who's too charming? That's Mr. Elliot. This is what Austin has to say about him. Mr. Elliot was rational, discreet, polished, but he was not open. There was never any burst of feeling, any warmth of indignation or delight at the evil or good of others. This, to Anne, was a decided imperfection. She felt that she could so much more depend upon the sincerity of those who sometimes looked or said a careless or a hasty thing than of those whose presence of mind never varied, whose tongue never slipped. Mr. Elliot was too generally agreeable. Various as were the tempers in her father's house, he pleased them all. He endured too well, stood too well with everybody. He had spoken to her with some degree of openness of Mrs. Clay, had appeared completely to see what Mrs. Clay was about and to hold her in contempt, and yet Mrs. Clay found him as agreeable as anybody. And into the midst of this family drama, Wentworth returns, along with the news that Louisa is engaged to someone else. 
Anne, in her brief encounters with Wentworth around town, does her best to calmly and politely imply that she's still head over heels in love with him and has been for the last eight years. Wentworth, if Anne's perception of him is to be believed, and Anne knows Wentworth very well, returns the feeling. He's sort of finally gotten over his anger at her. In the end, of course, there are still some obstacles to overcome. Someone is revealed to be a scoundrel, because there always has to be a scoundrel. Familial disaster is narrowly avoided. And Anne and Wentworth are proved to still understand each other. And they, of course, find their own happily ever after. That's it, basically. This is a short book. I found myself writing down quotes from almost every page of it, just because I like it so much. It's a very introspective book. You're with Anne through her emotional turmoil and gradual settling into herself. I really do like her as a protagonist and just a character. She is a keen observer of people and personalities and does her best to see clearly, but she leans toward patience and understanding of others, rather than using her greater wit and understanding to mock. I was inspired to reread this book because of the new Netflix version of Persuasion. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because this is a podcast about books. And like, I want to preface this with, I have seen and enjoyed plenty of book-to-movie adaptations. But having actually watched the Netflix Persuasion movie, I didn't like it. I mean, first off, I actually stopped watching halfway through the movie because I was bored. I didn't like any of the characters. And it takes a lot for me to not like Anne Elliot, okay? It was fun for a little while to see Anne be snarky about her family because they are so terrible to her. But she's terrible right back to them. And then they try to, like, pretend that Anne is so much better than her whole family when she's exactly the same as them. Part of the new Netflix movie is that Anne breaks the fourth wall. She talks to the audience. Which, like, if you're adapting a book that's very introspective, I understand you want to, like, give the audience a way to know what your very introspective character is thinking. But Anne tells the audience that she doesn't mind hanging out with Mary because she can make fun of Mary and Mary will never notice. And then a little bit later, Louisa defends Anne as being kindness itself. And I'm like, really? I think if you had just gone forward with, yeah, Anne's an Elliot and all the Elliots are terrible it's just that Anne hides it better. It would have been a better adaptation. But as it was, I didn't have any sympathy for Anne Elliot as a character, really. They removed all of the things about Mr. Elliot that made him suspicious. Because he's very straightforward in this movie. In this adaptation, instead of being, like, kind of sneaky and too charming, he's just, like, very open about his intentions. I just think it takes a lot of talent to make a persuasion movie where I am rooting for Mr. Elliot rather than for Anne. 
Okay, I'm done. I said I wasn't going to spend too long on it. I hope that wasn't too long. I do really like the book. And if you want to see a good adaptation of Persuasion, the 1995 movie with Amanda Root and Kieran Hines is very good. Also, if you want to read Persuasion, this is another book that's available on Project Gutenberg. And that's it. Reminder that I'm taking a break for a little while, and I will be back with a new episode on September 26th. I think I will be talking about From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armentrout. I may decide not to, because I hated it. Okay, as always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it or just share it with a friend. You can find the podcast on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at backlogbooks.com or on YouTube, where I finally posted Chapter 3 of An Irresistible Impulse. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon. Well, in a month. <laughs>